Can I invite you to open your Bibles to Psalm 4, the passage that Violet read for us earlier and the one we're looking at this evening. And as you're turning there, let me tell you stories about two people, and both of them are Christians. Firstly, we have Joe. Joe is a young accountant working for a well-known company in the city center. Joe has been fairly successful to date and is very eager to progress in his career. But Joe finds that he constantly struggles with what other people think about him at work. He finds that he is very eager to impress his colleagues and very keen for them to think that he's good at his job. And he actually feels pretty weary in general from always putting pressure on himself to prove himself to others. If he has a good day at work where he thinks his colleagues are impressed by him and think well of him, then it's short-lived, and the very next day, he feels he has to do the same all over again. If he has a bad day at work where he thinks he hasn't done a good job and his colleagues aren't thinking well of him, he leaves work feeling pretty unhappy and even slightly sick in his stomach, and he finds those evenings he overthinks how he has let his colleagues down. And Joe is a Christian, a fairly committed Christian too, but he finds that the, the great theology that he hears about at church on Sunday, he finds it very hard to connect that with his everyday life, particularly his work and his fear of man, the fear of what other people think about him. So that's Joe. And secondly, we have Wendy. Wendy has been a Christian for a good 40 to 50 years. And she would say that she's naturally quite an anxious person, but she's especially felt this all the more in the past couple of years since her husband died. If she goes to her church's social gathering, their version of friendship hour, um, or sees one of her neighbors for a coffee, um, she finds that she often worries. People think the very worst about her and don't particularly enjoy spending time with her. But Wendy has developed a, a wonderful habit, probably learned over a, a lot of years, of giving her fear of man, this anxiety, over to the Lord and asking for his help. It may just be a one-word prayer, help, before going to a social situation. It may be reminding herself of a scriptural promise like, fear not, for I am with you, and praying it into her life. And Wendy finds the result of this is that she not always, but often feels an inner peace and contentment in the Lord, even in the midst of the situation where she worries what other people think about her. I wonder if you can relate to either Joe or Wendy. Isn't it so easy to be consumed with worry about what other people think about us? Even if it's subtle, this fear of man can so easily sap us of our joy in the Lord. As we look away from what God has done for us in Christ and who we are as his beloved children, and instead look to other people to affirm us and approve of us. There's a great need for Christians today to have a rock-solid identity in Christ and not fear what other people think about us. There's a reason that fear not is the most frequent command in the Bible. And in this new year, 2023, Psalm 4 is a wonderful help to us in gaining that rock-solid identity in Christ. 
It's a Psalm of David. And in terms of the background situation, David says in verse 2 that his enemies have turned his honor into shame. That could refer generally to David losing reputation, or more specifically to David being rejected as God's anointed king. What triggered this? We don't know exactly, but in verse 7, with the mention of grain and wine, something that David wrote this psalm during a famine, as some of the people of Israel rejected God and David, his anointed king, and turned to other gods to seek grain and wine during the famine. We don't know that for sure, but either way, David is greatly bothered by other people. And in this psalm, we are given three steps to fighting fear of man. Step one to fighting fear of man is call upon the Lord. Call upon the Lord, verse one. Verse one has four commands directed to the Lord. Answer me when I call. The phrase, you have given me relief, could equally be translated as give me relief, which the NIV has. And be gracious to me is another command. And then hear my prayer. David is desperate here for the Lord's help and cries out to him to give him relief from his distress. And the word behind distress carries the idea of pressure squeezing in and restraining David from every angle. And when David begs God for relief, he's literally asking God to open something wide or enlarge something. He's saying, open up a way of deliverance from this distress and pressure that I face. I was in Dhaka in Bangladesh a number of years ago, and Dhaka has one of the highest population densities of any city in the world. People everywhere, and I mean streets, completely filled with People, bikes, rickshaws, cars, all on the move. And it's like playing a game of dodgems trying to get around them all. But when you finally get to a, a quieter place or get home, relief. There's no longer people pressing in from every side, and there's breathing space. And that's, in a way, what David feels like he is facing here on a deeper level. Distress pressing in and restraining him. And he asks God to open up a way of relief from his anxiety. That's what his call for help is about. But notice also who David directs his prayer to at the start of verse 1. He says, O God of my righteousness. That's the only time that phrase appears in the Old Testament. David knows he doesn't call upon the Lord because of any merits of his own. But he prays, knowing that he has a God-given righteousness. And for us today, we don't call upon the Lord for help because we're deserving of his help in and of ourselves. But we can only approach God in and through Jesus Christ, who has declared us righteous through our faith in him. And that's what it means for us to pray in Jesus' name, we can confidently bring our requests before the Lord and call upon him for help with our fear of man, not because of any merits of our own, but because of the righteousness that Jesus gives us. And therefore, we can call upon him with confidence. So what about you? 
How are you doing at calling upon the Lord for help with your fear of man? Maybe you're someone like Wendy in the story at the start, and you've developed a good habit of calling upon the Lord for help with your fear of man. You know that seeking the Lord's help is a better way of dealing with your fear of man than looking within yourself for strength, and you know how eager and ready the Lord is to help you. If that's you, then keep going and never move on from calling upon the Lord for help. The Lord delights to hear you cry out to Him for help. You may be aware of the the great prayer of Jehoshaphat, one of the kings of Judah, and someone whose name I'm definitely mispronouncing. But in 2 Chronicles 20, uh, a huge army from other tribes has come against Jehoshaphat for battle. And when he prays in verse 12, he says, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I love that. Jehoshaphat, in his fear of other people, the great army coming against him, he clearly knows he can't look within himself to get through this. But he prays, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. What a great prayer to make our own and use as a way of calling upon the Lord for help when we worry what other people think about us. Or it may be that you're someone like Jew, and fear of man is a struggle, but for whatever reason, you haven't been calling upon the Lord for help with it. It may simply be that worrying what other people think about you has become normal for you, and you're so used to it that you're not aware there's a lot of help available from the Lord to face this struggle. Or it may be that you feel a bit pathetic asking for the Lord's help with this issue. You may feel like it's not a big enough or significant enough thing to warrant asking the Lord for help. You might think, God isn't there to help me with with that small thing. Or it might be you even think the Lord is unimpressed with you for asking for help in this area. If that's you, then it's so important to remember that we don't approach God in prayer on our own merits, but only through Jesus, the God of our righteousness. And that means that God loves more than we know to hear us cry out to Him for help. No struggle is ever too small or too pathetic to bring before the Lord, and He is more than willing to help you with your fear of man through Jesus Christ. Perhaps you could address God in prayer as, O God of my righteousness, to help you remember your identity as righteous in Christ, and therefore you are someone the Lord loves to help. That's the first step to fighting fear of man in Psalm 4, call upon the Lord. But as we can see, David is not done yet. The second step to fighting fear of man might sound a bit strange, but hopefully it'll make sense as we go through it. The second step is talk to your fear of man. Talk to your fear of man, verses two to six. In verse two, David begins to address his enemies when he says, O men, and this continues all the way to verse six. It could have been that David here actually in real life directly addressed his enemies, 
causing him distress. But it's more likely that since this is poetry in a psalm, it's a poetic device where David talks to his enemies purely as a way of helping him process his distress before the Lord. In verse 2, David asks his enemies two questions. Firstly, how long shall my honor be turned to shame? As we've seen, this could refer to David losing reputation or being rejected as God's anointed king. And the second question shows the way in which the enemies are causing David distress. They love vain words and seek after lies which are putting David to shame. David then offers them several ways to respond. Verse 3, but know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. David reminds his enemies and himself of his true identity as one who belongs to the Lord. And the word behind set apart is quite a rare word, but refers to a, a special dealing with someone or treating someone with excellence. So David processes his distress by reminding himself that as a godly one, as God's anointed king, he was set apart. Even if his enemies were putting him to shame and speaking vain words and lies about him, God was dealing with him in a special way and treating him with excellence. If that was true of David as God's anointed king, how much more is that true of Jesus Christ, the ultimate godly one set apart for God the Father? And therefore true of all of us who are united to Christ by faith. God has set us apart for himself. He deals with us in a special way and treats us with excellence. And what a helpful truth to speak to our hearts and remind ourselves when we worry what other people think about us. David talks to his enemies again in verse 4 and tells them to be angry or tremble and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. They are to realize their mistake in shaming David and consider what they've done in their hearts and the lies they have sought after. David then offers them the solution in verse 5, the solution being to offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. His enemies aren't to offer sacrifices in a pretentious way, but the right way, flowing out of hearts that have repented and put their trust in the Lord. In verse 6, when David says, there are many who say, who will show us some good? As we thought about at the start, he probably refers to his enemies here seeking good, such as grain or wine or a harvest from other gods. But it's striking that David then prays in the second line of verse 6, that the Lord would lift up the light of his face upon them. So in verses 2 to 6, as David talks to his fear of man and processes his distress before the Lord, he has been reminded of his identity in God, verse 3. He has been assured the Lord hears his prayer, verse 3. His heart is in a place where he doesn't wish evil upon his enemies, but wants them to repent and find forgiveness, verses 4 and 5 and experience the Lord's, the Lord's face shining upon them. Verse 6. Do you see how worthwhile it is 
to talk to your fear of man. Martin Lloyd-Jones once said, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? What he means is that our, our hearts, our very selves, are, are talking to us, such as telling us that we should be worried what other people think about us. And the easy thing to do that requires almost no effort is simply listen to these thoughts and let them dominate our thinking. But as Lloyd-Jones says, listening to yourself can make you very unhappy and steal your joy in the Lord. The really hard bit that takes a lot of effort and discipline is to talk back to yourself, as David does here in verses 2 to 6. And in the same way, we're to respond to our thoughts, to our fear of man, with biblical truth about God and who we are in Christ. Or another way to put this is what the the Scottish preacher Robert Murray McShane, McShane said, for every look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. I, I think that's brilliant. It's, it's so helpful. Every time yourself tells you to worry what someone else thinks about you, remind yourself what Christ thinks of you many more times. When you worry that someone else might not like you, look at Christ and tell yourself that you are dearly loved by him. When you worry that someone else will treat you badly, look at Christ and tell yourself that he treats you with excellence. When you worry that someone else thinks you're weird, look at Christ and tell yourself that he finds you delightful. When you worry that someone else thinks you're not very good at your job, look at Christ and tell yourself that his love for you in no way depends on your performance. When you worry that someone else thinks you're boring or not very good company, look at Christ and tell yourself that he delights to have you as his child. Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord rejoices over you with singing. It's no exaggeration to say that Jesus is thrilled to have you as his child. Or whatever your particular worry is, look at Christ and his word, and there is plenty of gospel fuel to help you in your fight against fear of man. When we worry what other people think about us, what we need the most is not a change in our circumstances, but a bigger vision of Jesus. It's possible that we, we talk to our fear of man in a healthy way by looking at Christ and reminding ourselves of gospel truth. But it's also possible to respond to our fear of man in a selfish way by being defensive and even criticizing others to make ourselves feel better. Sadly, I know the story of a, a Christian leader, not here in, in Northern Ireland, but this leader found himself in quite a difficult conflict with another Christian. And other people were beginning to hear about it. And undoubtedly, this leader was worried what other people thought about him and his reputation. But his way of dealing with it was to use the, next, the organization's next big meeting to defend himself and paint this other Christian in a very bad light. He responded to his fear of man by 
defending himself and out of his own insecurity, he criticized others and put them down. And if that rings true for anybody here in how you handle your fear of man, even if it's not as extreme as as that story, then the right response is to repent and ask for the Lord's help in dealing with your fear of man in a healthier way. On the other hand, it's very encouraging to read stories and hear of people who talk to their fear of man and process it in a healthy way. Some of you may have heard of Rico Tice, who founded the Christianity Explored ministry. And Rico says that every morning in his quiet time, or morning devotion, or whatever it's called these days, he asks himself four questions with set answers. And one of them is, Rico, how does God feel about you? And the answer, he is delighted with you because he is delighted with Jesus, his son, and you are united to Jesus by faith. Your identity is in Christ, and whether others accept you or reject you today does not make you any more or less valuable or accepted or loved. What a great example of someone talking to themselves, even before the fear of man comes, to remind themselves of gospel truth and who they are in Christ. So there are many ways that we can talk to our fear of man to help us fight it. It may be a question and answer format like Rico's, which can be accessed online. It may be going through this psalm and speaking it into our hearts or memorizing gospel promises from Romans 8, for example. All of these ways can remind ourselves of who we are in Christ and help us to fight our fear of man. I find with this area of talking to yourself, talking to your fear of man, it's easy to overestimate how much of a difference this can make to your walk with God in the short term, over a a few days or a few weeks. But I've also found that it's easy to underestimate how much of a difference this can make to your walk with God in the long term, over several months or even years. But is it worth it? The third step to fighting fear of man shows that it is absolutely worth it. The third step, you'll be glad to hear, is the shortest, seen in verses 7 and 8. Enjoy the benefits. Enjoy the benefits. We've seen that fighting fear of man is hard work. It takes a lot of effort and discipline and looking away from ourselves unto the Lord for help. But verses 7 and 8 tell us that the fight pays off. And fear of man is an issue to address with wholehearted dependence on God, no matter how costly or difficult it is. David says in verse 7, You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. As we've heard, David's enemies were likely those who had turned to other gods, to seek grain and wine during the famine. But David says that when they have their grain and wine, even if they were to have an abundance of it, the joy they feel doesn't possibly compare to the joy that David feels by knowing the Lord. It's a lovely reminder that our hearts were made for joy in God, 
And if we try to find our joy in any of the other good things in the world, we'll just end up wanting more and more of it without ever being fully satisfied. Think of a a non-Christian you know who might have an amazing salary, very good job, a nice house and car, and things generally seem to be going well for them. If you know God through faith in Jesus Christ, then it's possible to feel a deeper joy than your non-Christian friend could. And like David, when we fight our fear of man, we can enjoy the benefit of renewed joy in the Lord, a joy that the world is desperately searching for. And there are more benefits to enjoy in verse 8, where David says, In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. This verse isn't a cure for every kind of insomnia, but it does tell us that when we're distressed because of other people, when we worry because of what other people think about us, then we can be guarded by a peace from God that helps us to sleep. It's possible to be in the midst of great distress and worry what other people think about us and then enjoy a peaceful sleep that comes from looking to the Lord. We spoke earlier about Jehoshaphat in Second Chronicles 20, surrounded by enemies and calling upon the Lord for help. Well, he and God's people were able to enjoy the benefits of fighting their fear of man. Verse 27 of that chapter says, they returned to Jerusalem with joy, for the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. And verse 30, the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest all around. Jehoshaphat experienced joy and peace and rest by giving his fear of man over to the Lord. It's a picture of the the joy and peace and rest that we can experience by fighting our fear of man. I think sometimes half the battle is realizing that it's possible to experience the Lord's joy and peace and rest. Maybe you're someone who has become so used to worrying what other people think about you that you don't realize it's possible to experience the Lord's joy and peace, even in the midst of your distressing situation. I remember when I was helping at a, a Christian camp several years ago, and one of the young guys had been struggling because he felt excluded by other campers. Sadly, I think most of the week, he he felt sorry for himself. But towards the end of the week, I don't know exactly what happened, but he had a newfound joy in the Lord. He said he felt the love of Jesus for him, and he was almost like a different person from earlier in the week. It was as though he had given his worry about being excluded over to the Lord, and he realized it was possible to experience the Lord's joy and peace and enjoy the benefit of knowing God's love for him. Even if the other people never properly included him, he had the joy of knowing Jesus' love for him, and that was far more important. Sometimes we might think it's too good to be true to feel joy and peace 
in the midst of a situation where other people are distressing us. But we can learn to allow the Lord to fill our hearts with his joy and peace. Philippians 4 verses 7 and 8 teach us that when we give our anxieties to God in prayer, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Remember that it's possible to experience a supernatural joy and peace, even amidst the situation where you worry what other people think about you. Or it may be that you're someone who has been practicing this for years, like Wendy in the story at the start, and you're in a very good habit of giving your fear of man over to the Lord. As a result, you enjoy the benefits. You often feel the Lord's joy and peace guarding you in distressing circumstances. If that's you, then never tire of enjoying those benefits. And remember that God will never tire of giving you his joy and peace when you seek him amidst your fear of man. I think of someone I know who has been practicing this for years. And one day when he was at work, one of his colleagues came to his office and criticized him for being really bad at his job. But this guy simply smiled. And in this distressing situation, he was filled with peace and contentment in God. And he wasn't shaken by his colleagues' nasty comments. That's a beautiful picture of what it can look like to live out verses 7 and 8 of Psalm 4 and enjoy the benefits of fighting fear of man. As we come to a close, it's amazing to see the, the journey made in Psalm 4. At the start, David is in great distress and cries out to the Lord. In the middle, he is reminded of his identity and assured that the Lord hears his prayer, verse 3. And at the end, even though his circumstances don't change, he is filled with joy in God and enjoys peaceful sleep. To use a line from the author, Ed Welch, you could say that at the start of the psalm for David, people are big and God is small. But at the end, God is big and people are small. That's the dynamic of fear of man. There's a distortion at play. The small reality of what other people think about us is big in our minds. And the big reality of what God thinks of us is small in our minds. And if David's fear of man could be transformed so that God became big and people became small, then we ourselves can be even more confident of that transformation on this side of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. David called upon the Lord for help. We can call upon the Lord for help, confident that if God went so far as to send his son to die for our sins, that he will certainly help us with our fear of man. David talked to his fear of man and reminded himself that he belonged to the Lord. We can talk to our fear of man and confidently remind ourselves that we belong to Jesus and he will never abandon us. David enjoyed the benefits of fighting fear of man. We can enjoy those benefits, knowing with confidence that Jesus promised joy and peace 
to his followers. Psalm 4 helps us to fight our fear of man and let it be transformed into a rock-solid identity in Christ. Let's pray. Father, as this new year begins, we cry out to you for help with our fear of man. Help us to learn to talk to our fear of man with truth about who we are in Christ. Thank you that when we fight our fear of man, you allow us to enjoy the benefits of joy and peace through Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Our last song is What a Friend We Have in Jesus. A great song that reminds us that when we worry what other people think about us, we can always take it to the Lord in prayer. Let's stand when the music starts.
Let's close with a couple of verses from Hebrews 13. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.